Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Silence. We are live in the most beautiful city in the country, if not the world, Houston, Texas, and welcome to my home, and welcome to Breaking the Silence. We're just going to have an awesome hour of just sitting back and listening to uh, a story that is going to inspire you, that's going to uh, grab your heart uh, right at the first, that is also going to offer you uh, some hope and some steps how to get through some things that you may be dealing with in your own life. So just welcome. And if you want to get involved, there's a couple ways to be able to do that tonight. We always love getting phone calls. And our guests tonight said, hey, yeah, bring it on. Well, I'll talk to anybody. 888-627-6008. We'll get you the wonderful people at BBS radio station. And they will answer the phone with the radio voice. And they will patch you right in to us tonight. And you can talk to me and you can ask a question uh, of our guest. Or you can get right on the shattered uh, by the Darkness uh, Facebook page, and I'm looking at it right over here. My son, Curtis, is running that in the United States Army. He's stationed out in Seattle, Washington, and I believe he's in some other country right now, but he is uh, manning that, and you can get right on and type your comment or question there, and uh, we'll uh, address that pretty quick, too. Uh, you can also, if you want to, just text me, 832-396-6525. That goes right to this phone right here. And you can call me 24-7, seven days a week if you ever have a thought or a question. You just want somebody to talk to. Uh, I love talking to people and had some great opportunities this week to meet some wonderful physicians down by the Mexican border uh, in Edinburgh, Texas. We talked about how to... Uh, deal with human trafficking and how to recognize it, how to be trauma-informed with them. I talked to some wonderful counselors that was going through uh, university courses uh, this morning uh, in Boston, and that was a wonderful uh, meeting this morning, too. So I just love being able to, to talk and uh, share with people uh, how to get through what you're getting through and how to help other people. And speaking of getting through what you're going through, um, has it been a rough week for you? Has it been a long weekend? Uh, has it just flat been a, a long day? I want to just kind of remind you of a few things as we go into a new week. Uh, we sprung forward, uh, so it's a little bit lighter uh, outside. I was just looking out and see what the, the sun was doing. It's a little bit uh, lighter than what it normally is. It's usually pitch dark here in Houston at this time. But as we spring forward, how are you doing emotionally? And how do you get through those tough weekends, those tough days, those tough hours? 
And our guest tonight is going to be able to help us with that, I'm sure, in great in more great detail than what I am. But I want you to write down a couple things. First of all, I, I really want you to remember that you are not what has happened to you in your past. Um, you're not your past habits. You are not your past failures. And you are not what other people treated you like in the past that treated you with disrespect. That's not you. And remember, that's not who you are. Number two, struggling with problems and good days and bad days and rough times and rough hours, and and it's been a long weekend for me, is a natural part of growing. And if you want to go every now, grow every now and then, you have to go through some pain and heartache, some hardships, and learn from those lessons. Number three, uh, and I don't have very many of these, so hang with me. Uh, emotionally, separate yourself from your problems. You are far greater than those problems, and try to separate yourself from that. Number four, uh, I, I hate to burst your bubble, but if you want to lean in on this one, you can. Uh, perfect relationships don't exist. They just flat don't exist. It's how two imperfect people deal with the imperfections in a relationship that really, really matters. And I think we're going to get a lot of inspiration about that and true relationships and how to get through the tough times with our guests tonight, too. Number five, I want to remind you that tonight your future is unwritten, regardless of how dirty, filthy, ugly your past has been. I want to remind you your future is still spotless. So don't bring that filth into your future. Don't start your day with the broken pieces of yesterday. And even when you're tempted, don't go backwards and into your past. Always stay into what is on the horizon for your future. Number six, say to yourself, this quote, write this quote down. Dear past, thank you for everything that I have learned, the lessons that you have taught me, and dear future, I'm ready for you now. Learn those life lessons from the past, but move on to your future tonight. And the last thing that we're going to bring our guest on, stop looking for approval from people who will never understand the weight of your assignment because you're never going to get it from them. You have a destiny. You have an assignment. You have a purpose. And if they can't understand the weight of that or don't care to, it's time to let them go. Never, never look for their approval because you're not going to get it. Just a few things that I, I needed to hear this week and this weekend, and I want to let you know that tonight our guest is going to be awesome, and I can't wait to bring him in. 
888-627-6008. Sean Hamilton is a husband and a partner of a survivor of sexual violence. And he is United States Navy veteran. And I applaud him for that. He has dedicated his life to supporting survivors and advocating for change in the way that we approach sexual violence and its aftermath. He spent five years researching and writing a book that I want everybody to write down. I hope he has a copy of it so he can show you the cover. And the, it, the, the name of the book is When Your Partner Says Me Too. I want to bring him in tonight, Sean Hamilton. Can you hear me tonight, Sean? Are you there? I can, Greg. Yes. Hey, thank you for having me on. The program. Oh, thank you so much. It's I got to say that. You. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate this opportunity to come on and speak. And uh, that number seven just really kind of just hit me in the heart right there. It was just you know not not waiting for the approval of other people to stand up and kind of speak your truth. Uh, it's kind of all about what this mission and message is all about. So I appreciate you sharing that. That was uh, really powerful. Because sometimes, Sean, what, what do you think? Do you get approval from everybody? Do you get everybody that's on your <laughs> rally and patting you on the back and go, go, Sean, go, Sean? Or do you have those people that weigh you down? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it's unanimous across the board. Everybody's got those people that just, for some reason or another, just want to stand in your way as you're trying to uh, – accomplish what you're here to do in life and uh you know we just have to not listen to it and just keep moving forward when did you discover that this was your purpose in life to help people in this way because i don't i think in all the four years that i've had this program uh, i've never had the survivor of an abuse victim that wrote the book so this is a wonderful perspective, and I can't wait to drill down really deep into this. But when did you discover within you and within you and your wife's relationship that, hey, wait, um, this is my purpose. This is what I'm created for. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was yes. a it was a really challenging moment, really, because this is such a difficult topic. It's such a difficult reality to face that. To be honest, I, I, I felt like I may have run from it for a minute uh, yeah. until, you know, there was a day where my wife and I had come through so much and we got to a place where, you know, she felt she was, you know, really turning a corner on the healing process. And I came to her and was just saying, like, I feel so proud of you for the accomplishments that you have made throughout this because the the emotional triggers are are fewer and farther between and you're really making a difference and i don't know if you can tell but as your partner i just wanted to to say that i'm really proud of you and it was a moment where you know we both kind of had this just reflection of you know the years that we had you know been together and been going through this and um i'll get to the you know kind of how it all started here but it was just a moment where I looked at her and I, I really just asked her a question. I was like, you know, I really, I'm curious how you feel like I showed up in these particular moments. And I want the honest grading. I want you to tell me if I've done well, 
in these moments. And I want you to tell me where I could have done way better. And I'm just curious because I started having these thoughts about how important it is for her environment to heal in. Just like an epiphany hit me where it was like somebody's environment when they're healing from a physical injury is so critical to that physical injury being healed. Yeah. You know, if the, you know, my mom actually broke her leg and because of the environment she had to heal in, she was making really great strides. And she told me about the doctor who she'd been going to had a similar injury uh, a case who had a similar injury to her that was taking a lot longer for her to heal. And one of the reasons being that she just had an environment that was very supportive of her healing process. And it just kind of made me think about, well, mental health is similar to that. And what we've just gone through, my wife and I, I was just curious about the environment that I have an impact over as her partner. Did I, you know, make a significant impact? And we just started having conversations about it and kind of really picking it apart. And there was just this kind of epiphany where I was like, I thought back to the time when, you know, the, it, the trauma was really fresh. You know, she got sexually assaulted two weeks after we started dating. And oh. it was such a difficult time. And I reached out for resources. I looked online. I tried to find something that would tell me as a partner how am I supposed to show up in these moments? How am I supposed to handle this level of emotional swings back and forth? How do I, how do I deal with the rage that I feel inside for this person that I know who I've met, who has done this to somebody that I love dearly? And how do I show up in those moments where she's, you know, having a really challenging time? And then, you know, when I looked for resources and there just wasn't anything that spoke to me as a partner, it was kind of that moment that I kind of reflected on when my wife and I were sitting there that I was like, I guess I have to write that book because I need to write the book that my 15-year-old self, when I was going through this for the first time, you know, because my girlfriend in high school, the first girlfriend I ever had, she was, when we were 15 you know, she confided in me that she had suffered, uh, you know, kind of an incredible child abuse and intimate partner violence when she was in, you know, eighth grade that she had been repeatedly raped. And it came up in our relationship. It was the first time either of us had really fallen in love and it had bubbled up to the surface. And it was just this acknowledgement, that moment with my wife where I was like, I have to write the book that my 15 year old self could have really used when I felt so alone in all of those emotions and, you know, kind of flashing forward and realizing how critical my role was in the sense that, and I'm sure there's some therapists listening to this is when we engage with our intimate partner, our lover in, you know, sexual activity, we're actually walking them through one of the most high stakes exposure therapies that there is in this particular recovery process. There's nobody else around to, you know, kind of lean on if things get, you know, complicated and complex and emotional. And so what do we do in that worst case scenario? How do we handle the complete emotional swing from being engaged in sexual activity to all of a sudden now 
we're in something completely different and they're having a negative emotional reaction, a triggering event, even a full-blown PTSD reaction and completely withdrawal emotionally and physically, how do we show up as partners in that moment? Because that's the fork in the road that, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, however you look at that, is it's our honor, it's our duty, it's our responsibility in that moment to show up and keep them on a path of healing versus making it about us, furthering the guilt and shame spirals, and, you know, being a cause for more harm that's already kind of happened to them in this scenario. And so it was just a reflection in that moment of sitting with my wife that I was like, you know, I never thought that my life was going to go this way. I didn't spend a career learning about this, you know, issue. Uh, it wasn't something that, you know, I spent a lot of time educating myself about up until the moment where I just realized this has impacted my life in so many areas at so much in my life that I can't turn away from it. And it just was a calling that I go, okay, I got to write the book. And once the, and once the decision was made, that was it. And then it was just like, all right, let's, let's dive into the deep end and um, learn as much as we can. And so that's, that's really where the process started. Wow. Sean, uh, if I can, you know, you, you said maybe some, some talking points, but I, I want to just run if we can with the direction I'm feeling led right now. Yeah. Have you in your own personal life had a traumatic event that caused you to understand where your wife was coming from when she was having her episodes and dealing with it? Or were you completely uh, blindsided as far as, hey, this may be what she needs, or maybe I need to do this because that's what I needed. Was there any correlation of you being able to understand her pain uh, with what has happened in your life? I would say that I haven't survived sexual violence or abuse in that way. So to be um, upfront about that, no, not in that sense. But I did lose my dad to a heart attack at the top of a mountain when I was 15 and he died in my arms. And um, it left me with a really deep sense of PTSD and trauma that got, you know, for a while undiagnosed. And there was a lot of the imagery and the flashbacks and the questioning and the guilt and the shame. It was at a, you know, it was at a Boy Scout summer camp and I was, I was literally knocking on the door of getting my Eagle Scout when I was 15. And so there was just this feeling that I felt like I was supposed to be prepared. Um, I was supposed to be prepared to handle that and save my dad's life. Um, You know, we were out in the middle of nowhere away from, you know, emergency services. And by the time they got there, uh, it was too late. And uh, there was some pretty traumatic images that uh, got kind of seared in my mind. So I wouldn't say that I have like a direct um, correlation in terms of the exact experiences that survivors go through. But I think what, you know, really builds the empathy and compassion is that I, I do know what it's like to be in the kind of throes of the emotional swing of PTSD and the trauma of an experience that you don't have any control over the images that flash in your mind, the emotional connection to the physiological responses that happen in the body. And, you know, that allowed me to have a little bit 
more of an insight into oh, sure. and, and patience with, you know, kind of what she was experiencing at that time. Now, when, when the abuse happened to her, the trauma happened to her, how long had you been in a relationship? You was in a relationship with her when it happened? Yeah, it was uh, how two long weeks. Has that been? Uh, it was two weeks, like into the relationship, but now we've been together um, six, seven years now. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, we, uh, right at the very beginning, right at the very beginning, we were sitting in courtrooms and lawyers and the King County sexual assault coordinator, um, you know, their offices and, and kind of going through the trauma of rehashing what has happened to somebody and they're you know it's kind of a cold sterile environment where people are just picking apart the facts and they're really scrutinizing and it's very it's very challenging for the survivor and that was really hard for me to see um her go through that and then for the justice system to completely let us down uh in so many ways was just heartbreaking it was just you know we we hear a lot in the news and the media and the public kind of discourse um, but to see it firsthand and to like really experience the pain of it, it's, it's such a different perspective of the letdown, the feeling, the re-traumatization that it is even just, you know, telling what happened to them, especially like right in the rawness of it all. It's just, it's really, really challenging. And so, um, yeah, that's, it's really painful. Sean, what's the one thing that you did that was so absolutely wrong, but it was the, the response and the natural response that you had at the time as us men are supposed to protect uh, the people around us, and especially being a, uh, a Navy veteran, uh, things of that order. What was it that you just said, oh, man, I, I blew it when I did this? Um, I think in the moment that you know, she told me because we, again, we had been dating for two weeks and there was a kind of a, a break in our communication style around that time. And I was starting to kind of feel like maybe she had gotten cold feet in the relationship and just wasn't reaching out to me. And then she reached out and she had told me what happened. And I talk about this in the book, how important these moments really are and how you know, hopefully people can learn a lesson from, you know, maybe how I reacted that might not have been, you know, the best is that I allowed my anger and my rage to kind of come out in that moment, rather than, you know, just actively listening and kind of being compassionate. And it highlights the need for being trauma informed, mm. proact proactively versus reactively. Um, you, we never, we don't have a crystal ball, right? So we, we can't tell when something like this is going to happen, when a trauma is going to happen. We can't tell when a loved one may share with us that trauma has happened in their past. And so the more informed we are about trauma and how to respond to it, we can pro, you know, we can kind of prevent our own emotions from taking over the situation and drowning out really the, the strength and courage that they have to tell us what's actually happened. And, you know, that's, that's something I, I really stand on is the education piece of being informed about trauma, because there are moments that do happen that you only get that moment to respond. 
and how we respond will have an impact one way or the other. It's going to either have a positive and healing component, or it may have a damaging and harmful uh, interaction and kind of take the emotions where they, they don't necessarily need to go. You know, we talk a lot about being trauma-informed on the program almost every week. What mm-hmm. wisdom do you have for people that's listening tonight that has a friend, has a, a, a relationship with, that may be revealing or a parent that's hearing this from their, their son or daughter. And that reactionary period of being proactive instead of reactive is huge. I use that line all the time. Um, how, what, what kind of steps, what kind of wisdom do you have for people to say, hey, wait, if somebody's getting ready to tell you something that has happened to them that is so traumatic, this is what you need to make sure you do. What would be some of those key mm-hmm. items that they must keep in mind before they go or, Oh no, or get mad or what, what's some of the wisdom that you have to share with them? Yeah. I wish that I had a, um, a complete kind of 100% here for people because emotional intelligence is so important uh, in, in every aspect of our lives. And it's a skill set that is learned through you know, it can be learned through reading, listening uh, to, you know, podcasts like this. Um, and yet it comes from the moments that are really challenging and how we show up and the practice that we get. And unfortunately, emotional intelligence is a soft skill that we don't really teach. And there's not a lot of opportunities for people. And so in life, we get thrown these giant challenges. And those are the moments that we get to practice, but it's actually game time. Um, and so what I would say in the proactive approach is to really look at emotional intelligence as a skill set to build for your entire life, to be able to control your own emotions, to be able to understand them and respond to your own emotions and know how you're feeling in any given moment because of any given stimuli, whether it's good or bad, is really important not to be controlled by your emotions in any given moment. And the other side, the other you know, side of the coin for emotional intelligence is really being able to spot and respond to other people's emotions and to know that, especially in this moment, if this is something, you know, we do plan for so that we can have a proactive approach because of how just widespread this issue of sexual violence is, that the likelihood that at some point in your life, you will have to hear somebody's story and bear witness to somebody's trauma and pain, then it does speak to our need for preparing our emotional intelligence to show up in those moments. So I would say looking for emotional intelligence training, you know, to be specific about it, to, to, to look at how do you increase your emotional intelligence and where are some of the opportunities that you can practice uh, showing up because in those moments when they tell you something, listening is one of the most important things you can do because really validating their experience, not trying to provide some solution for them in that moment, drowning out their voice and, you know, making it about us, making it about our emotional reaction, right? Cause that's what I did in, in my moment was I, I kind of had that initial 
gut check of like, oh my gosh, and all this emotion flied out, you know, flew out of my mouth. And, and it was just something that um, I look back on and go, you know, if I can help people prevent that just interaction, it, it'll compound later in the relationship as well, because that, you know, unfortunately is just the beginning of the, you know, challenging conversations that are on the horizon. When you get the opportunity to travel the country, maybe the world, I, I don't know, but uh, to speak to high school students, do you incorporate the uh, emotional intelligence into that with them and their friends? Or what is your main uh, platform of a message to these high school students right now? Hmm. So I actually had an opportunity when I first spoke in the high school like the very first high school I ever spoke in, uh, an art teacher who was a friend of mine asked me to come in and speak. And I was, at the time, recording a lot of music, trying to be an artist. And he had heard about a project that I was working on that was speaking about these issues. I had written a lot of music around gender violence. Um, you know, I wrote a song about the story that my first girlfriend in high school had gone through as a way for me to process a lot of the emotions. It's one of the things I talk about in the book is how partners need to find ways of processing our emotions outside of the relationship. So we're not reflecting that pain kind of back into the relationship. And one of the ways that I found to do that was through music and through mm -hmm. art. And I had written this song about, uh, you know, what she had gone through. And I had written it actually when I was in high school uh, you know, kind of during that time. And when I got out of the Navy, I went, you know, kind of searching for my sense of purpose again and duty and some sort of way I could serve a community. And I, I pulled out this song and I was like, well, I went into a studio and just had it recorded. And so when my friend found out about that, he asked me to come in and speak to this group of students. And so what I found that just really worked, and I don't know if it was just happenstance or what, but when I went in to speak to them, I just shared the song and I was just vulnerable about my situation in my life. And what I think happened was it was just a modeling of emotional intelligence. I just sat down with them and was vulnerable and told them how I felt, why I felt the way that I did. And then what actions did I take based on how I was feeling to help me process it? And then I shared the song with them. And it gave them a moment to really feel and hear my story and, and ultimately her story. Really, it was a survivor's kind of tale. And what it did is it, it opened up such a dialogue with the students. They were so moved that in the first class, two or three students stood up to tell their own stories of what they had been through. And it just brought us all close together. It, like it, it just created this sense of connection these kind of aha moments happened in the class where some kids who had thought they had been suffering in silence had actually been sitting next to somebody, you know, for years in school that had been actually going through the same thing that they had been going through. And I spoke six classes that day. And by the end of the day, teachers from other classrooms were bringing their students into this classroom because they had kind of heard what was going on and they didn't want their kids to miss out on this opportunity. And it was the same kind of thing in every class. I just did that same thing, just kind of repeated the cycle and process. And by the end of the day, it was like probably a list of 20 to 25 students at the school who had stood up in the class and talked about what had happened to them. And at the end of the day, 
it was just such a cathartic experience to get so many kids coming up saying thank you for what I was doing. Um, you know, and I even had one girl come up and give me a poem that she had written, you know, during another class because she felt like she wanted to tell me her story, but she didn't want to say it in front of the whole class. And so it was just this moment of realizing that, you know, art has a way of really moving us out of, you know, that pain and kind of bubbling it to the surface. And I think that if we have people that are willing to model the vulnerability and willing to really just be raw and honest with them. Um, it just showed that, you know, they, there's, there's a lot of people that need, you know, encouragement and hope and help. And it just really, um, you know, it really solidified a lot of the work that I'm doing now is like really, you know, encouraging people to, you know, find their voice through their pain and, you know, really turn that, you know, kind of tragedy into, into triumph and, and really kind of speak their, their message through the pain and really help themselves turn that pain into something that can help others. And yeah, it's just modeling kind of what, what, what I've done. That's what it's all about. Tell you what, we're going to take our only commercial break here right now. And uh, on the other side of this, Sean, I want to find out a little bit more, drill that down a little bit deeper in this emotional intelligence and what we may be doing wrong in the schools mm-hmm. uh, and where that training can come from if somebody wants to know more about it in their own personal life. 888-627-6008. And we'll be right back in about a minute and 28 seconds, something like that. Hang with us. Call in if you have a question. We'll be right back. HCI Publishing that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Welcome back. We have Sean Hamilton with us tonight. He's an author, a speaker around the country, uh, but he's the author of a book, When Your Partner Says Me Too. Do you have that book that you can set up? Oh, look at there. Beautiful looking cover. Did you design that? Um, I worked with an artist to design it, uh, and she brought it to life, and I couldn't be more happy with uh, with how it turned out. Yeah, that's awesome. That, that That is neat. What about the artwork behind you? Do you have any, is there a personal story behind that? That's a beautiful Piece of oh, that's a, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an artist that I really like. Uh, he's actually a buddy of mine from Seattle. Uh, his name's Adam One. Uh, he, he does a lot of, uh, hip hop 
um, artists. He, he kind of focuses in on a lot of hip hop artists to, to make his art and really, um, yeah, it's a, he's just a good friend of mine. And so I, you know, support his work and, uh, yeah, I really like it. If people want to get a copy of that book, what's the best way to do that, Sean? Uh, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. You can go to seanhamilton.com, S-H-A-U-N-H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N.com. Uh, there's links there. You can get the print copy or the ebook copy. Um, yeah. Okay, fantastic. And if people would like to have you come to their school, you come to their organization and talk, they can get through to you through that seanhamilton.com website? Um, absolutely. The, yes, you can. Um, I think, uh, emailing me would probably be the best emailing the, my publishing company is, uh, business at 22 mysteries.com. Um, and you can, yeah, email me there. Business at 22 mysteries.com yep. is your email. Fantastic. Well, Sean, when, when you, when you talk about emotional intelligence, what was the one thing that you really needed to learn most about that you're encouraging the people that you speak to now and maybe that you're hoping that this book will uh, open up that can of worms and saying, hey, wait, folks, we're missing the boat. This is what you need to do to be that powerful person uh, to support someone that's close to you that has gone through it or you've gone through it yourself. What's that? What's a couple of the key things that we really need to know? I would say the first one is nonviolent communication. It's um, it's just an incredible set of skills to really help you identify how you're feeling, how to respond to your needs and concerns and requests, and be able to communicate those to your partner in ways that, well, like it says, nonviolently. It just is more in a calm manner, and it it's more so addressing, you know, what you're how you're feeling, why you're feeling that way, what you, you know, think that you need uh, and really asking for what it is that you need in a, in a way that keeps conversations, you know, moving forward in a calm way. Did you learn any of this in the military training or is this stuff you had to learn on your own through life experiences? Yeah, no, this is something that, uh, you know, my wife, she is, you know, one of the just strongest and just most awesome women I've ever met in my life. And I learned so much from her on a daily basis. She's been a mental health therapist now for oh. over 14 years. Her story is one that is just, it's absolutely inspiring to me every time I think about it with what she's had to overcome in her life, uh, not just with sexual violence, but, you know, she gave a TEDx talk uh, in 2013 about her story of recovery from uh, functional neurological disorder um, at the time called conversion disorder. And um, she was having seizures up to nine times a day in a wheelchair, wearing a helmet, uh, you know, narcolepsy, Tourette's syndrome, dystonia, like all sorts of just neurological dysfunction going on. And she was a patient in the Mayo Clinic for over two years. And no, nothing that they were doing could, you know, really move the needle. And most of it would just make her symptoms worse. And it wasn't until she went to um, Dr. John Connolly, who's the founder of rapid resolution therapy and had one session of rapid resolution therapy. And she's been seizure free, symptom free uh, going 14, 15 years now, studied under him so that she could turn around and provide the same type of healing to others. And 
She's been doing so with thousands of people from all over the world. And yeah, she's just, uh, she's just so inspiring in terms of what she's had to come through and how she continues to, you know, face life with such a positive attitude and a, a sense of healing others and really of service. And she's, you know, taught me so much. Um, you know, we've, we've had so many conversations around, uh, you know, emotional intelligence and nonviolent communication. And she's really the one that kind of put me on to nonviolent communication because uh, it's really helped our relationship, not just in the sense of like navigating challenging moments, but like through trauma, but just how do we navigate being roommates? And, you know, it's my turn to do the dishes. Like it's, it's, it's really practical in terms of how do we just, you know, handle our interpersonal relationships. It's a really practical skill that uh, would really make the world a better place if everyone uh, increased their ability to nonviolently communicate. Do you have a, a thought or example to put skin on that for me? How that would work? You mentioned about, you know, who does dishes or whatever, but is there, is there an example that you can work me through of, hey, this is the way a lot of people deal with it, but yeah. if you have this skill, this is the way you should. Yeah. I will give you an example that okay. gets that gets kind of in back to the topic of what we were talking about in terms of uh, you know, overcoming our personal situation. So yeah. one of the ways that it really shows up for me is when I'm feeling um really emotional in a particular moment and specifically let's say I'm going to take you to the worst case scenario of being a partner of somebody who survived sexual violence. Cause that's just kind of what we're here to talk about is one of the more challenging times is when you're in the middle of having uh, you know, sexual activity and somebody has a triggering event and yeah. how do we navigate that particular moment? Because as a partner um, who sometimes you, you can be unaware of what's going on, with the survivor, even in the midst of them, you know, being very heightened and uh, in a world of uh, trauma response, and you may be unaware, and all of a sudden, you become aware. And the emotional swing that happens in that snapshot, a very brief moment in time, can trigger a lot of different feelings. And to be honest, as a partner, um, somebody that's engaged in sexual activity, the disappointment and the frustration can be present and how we navigate how we're feeling in that moment and how we communicate that is incredibly important. And, you know, we can communicate it in ways that cause harm, or we can choose to kind of have emotional intelligence, check in with ourselves, see what we need, and then respond to also what, what they need. And so, Rather than coming forward with my frustration, rather than coming forward with my disappointment, I'm coming forward with the care and compassion first so that we can handle the situation. So that, at, you know, if this may be a moment that's stacked in your relationship, this may come up several times in your relationship. And, you know, we're talking about maybe five, six, seven experiences down the road. And that frustration hasn't had a chance to get out because we're in triage of dealing with our partners, you know, triggering events, and we haven't had a time to express that. So that kind of situation, uh, arise, you know, kind of arose in my, in, in my life with my wife. And so we would sit down and outside of, you know, a triggering event, 
outside of those types of moments, just come to her and say, hey, listen, this is something that's come up for me. I'm not looking to put this on you. I know this isn't your uh, your stuff. This is my stuff. But I just wanted you to be aware of how I'm feeling so that we can both navigate, uh, you know, this path together and just, you know, creating a, a dialogue that isn't about blame. It's not about, mm. um, you know, it's not about, you know, one upping. It's not about winning an argument. It's more so about identifying your feelings, needs, concerns, and requests uh, in any given moment and being able to articulate those in a way that you feel heard and that gives your partner the opportunity to hear you uh, and also address what they may be feeling at that same time. And, you know, I think that's really where, you know, in those, in those heightened moments, it's really important. And then like in uh, the situation of like household chores, it kind of comes up in that those moments too, where instead of being like, just, you know, frustrated about the day, you, you know, and oh my gosh, this is the thing that's stacked, the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, we can just sit down and say, hey, listen, you know, at a check-in period, hey, you know, rather than handling this in a moment where I'm emotionally spun up, right, the day can throw all sorts of stress at us. Well, instead of handling it in that moment and saying, you need to do the dishes and make it this big moment, we can just kind of pause, take note of it, right? We just register how we're feeling, why we're feeling that way, make a note that we need to actually address this and not just let it slide, but do it in a time where we're not so emotionally charged. And, you know, my wife and I, we implemented um, right away, we implemented a check-in period where every Sunday we would sit down and have categories of our relationship and say, you know, let's address our roommate situation like what what is it about living together that we need to address to accommodate each other in a you know calm way so if i'm doing anything we can handle it really quickly um and lovers and partners you know what needs to be done here friends are we doing things that really engage us and you know have it just for having fun like things that we would do if we weren't dating and we were still just friends like are we doing those things and it really helps us to kind of keep things uh, really smooth and calm and not really have to get into the like super heightened emotional stuff that gets really messy. And I think that nonviolent communication has been what we use to kind of uh, lead the way in those conversations. Great, great example. I, I appreciate you sharing that because I think being wired differently, a man and a woman being completely wired in different ways, the importance of what we put into is not very important to what they want. Uh, and I would think that there has to be a, a give and take in having this Sunday powwow uh, of discussion, I would think would be huge for your relationship. I mean, it was, I mean, it was, yes. I, it was absolutely critical to be honest. Like I, I put a massive amount of the success that we had through the recovery process on with our check-ins because it gave this and like what you were saying why are completely different this was the first relationship that i have ever been in that we that i have implemented this in and it was really uncomfortable at first i'll just admit it it's not it wasn't comfortable to sit down and tell somebody outside of a moment of tension that i have a concern i have a request because in my mind that means that I'm now possibly creating another moment of tension. And I was like, and so it felt like I was trying to avoid that. 
But what I found was that the more honest and open I could be when it's not tense really mm. gives her an opportunity to really hear me about where I'm at and how I'm feeling. And it gave me an opportunity for to, to listen to her as well. And it just became a practice that at first it was uncomfortable. And, you know, by the 30th Sunday that we had sat down to, you know, really chat, we were, you know, we weren't really talking about much because we have addressed so many things along the way that we could really take that time to just kind of appreciate where we've come in our relationship and how far she's gone in her recovery. And it, it really allowed us to, to focus in on a lot of, you know, gratitude for what we have done and the, the challenges that we've come through. And, you know, that's not to say that, you know, week five and six aren't challenging because, you know, learning something new is, is sometimes uh, that way. It's sometimes challenging, but it's, I would say it's the one activity that I put above all others uh, in our relationship that we approached it as a couple that, um, you know, showed the most amount of result, not only in her healing process, but just in the success of our relationship as a whole. Wow. Do you feel that a high percentage of all the arguments that couples have, uh, close friends have, is probably majority, if not all, due to just a lack and a under misunderstanding and a miscommunication between the two because we're acting on emotion instead of saying, hey, wait, this is what it made me feel like. This is what I'm feeling. Let's work through this when all the, the emotions are at a lower stage than what they are when it happens. Yeah, I would say that nonviolent communication and emotional intelligence, the implications that that has on your entire life, you know, way outside the context of like dealing with trauma in a relationship, but like all aspects of your interpersonal relationships, your friends, your job, your loved ones and family, it has, you know, far reaching implications in terms of getting to the same page. Because like, as you were saying, that shared reality conflict is really you know, kind of something I've identified as uh, a root cause of a lot of the like really intense uh, moments of conflict. And it's in the identification of going, wait, right now we're experiencing a shared reality conflict and both of us are fighting to be heard. So we need to have a strategy to approach this so that we're not spiraling out of control and, you know, and then losing control of our emotions. And that's when things get said that can't get unsaid and can't get unheard. And, you know, and those are some pivotal kind of fork in the roads of relationships that could be drastically reduced and negated through nonviolent communication and uh, a heightened emotional intelligence of just how you're feeling and spotting how your partner's feeling. Wow. I know we only have a minute or so. Um, what would you say for people like me that have been traumatized in an unbelievable way as, as a child. Uh, and it's hard in my relationships to be able to be open in this way that you're talking about. What advice do you have people that are saying, Hey, wait, I, I want to, I, I need this help. What would you say to him in, in the last uh, 30 seconds that we have here? What would be some of the wisdom that you have? I would say effective trauma clearing, if that isn't something that has been, um, you know, ap approached, I would say 
rapid resolution therapy is a is a real powerful way to move the needle so that the communication can become less scary it can become you know something that you approach with a determination that is a positive for your life and recognizing that building the bridge of communication between you and your partner is such a, a, a huge thing that you can do. And there's, you know, and that's why I've written this book, I would say, you know, for your partner and yourself to read the book, just to get a, a, a language that you could speak fluently together so that you kind of understand each other without having to maybe even come up with the words and just go this, you know, like yeah. this is, this is something I'm feeling. Uh, this is something I've felt and, you know, and, and both people, and that's, that's really the mindset that I had when I was, you know, putting this book together and why I lean so heavily on, you know, my wife and her understanding of language and, and how she utilizes words is really to understand, like, how do we create a language for both people who may be coming from different places? Uh, how can we get them to speak the the same language and, and help them, uh, you know, recover from this really difficult situation that, you know, it's, it's challenging. Fantastic. Well, tell you what, Sean, I appreciate it so much. Everybody, make sure you write this title of this book down. Go on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, download it, buy it, get it shipped to you, go to their webpage. But the, uh, the title of the book is, show it one more time, Sean, when your partner says me to your role and responsibilities in their recovery process, you will not be disappointed if you – Pick up this book. I promise you that. Sean, come back if you would. Oh, my gosh. Anytime. Your brain and drill a little bit deeper and just find out more about what I need to know in my own conversations with the people that I'm closest to. Because I think sometimes this is me. uh, And I think the entire world revolves around me sometimes. And it just simply doesn't. And I need to learn how to be a better communicator. Oh, well, thank you so much, Greg. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and, uh, and to share this message. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate you being with us tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. As we do each and every week, like we always do, I always want to end the program with just letting you know, no matter what you have gone through, and I think Sean and his wife are perfect examples of this, horrific situations, could have been a, a relationship-breaking situation, but they took it. They connected, they grabbed a hold of each other's hands and squeezed even harder and relied on something that I want to let you know that you have tonight too, and that's hope. Never give up as long as there's breath in your lungs. Folks, you have hope. Join us right here for another edition of Breaking the Silence next week, live from Houston, Texas. And I want to thank you for being with us this evening. God bless you. Have a good week. And never give up leaning into somebody and giving that chance to be proactive instead of reactive. God bless. Have an awesome week. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial... 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com 
And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station One for the next episode of Breaking the Silence. Thank you.